Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, very pleasant good morning to you. This is Patrick Timpone. Starting an hour later than usual, usually 10 o'clock central, but Bitcoiners sleep late. I'm just kidding. No, I just set it up for 11. I don't know why. I was brain dead at the time. Speaking of being brain dead, the uh, third Monday is generally Dr. Richard Massey, but I was looking on my calendar and I was the wrong week. Uh, so Richard Massey will be here tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know. I just got lost. Richard Massey tomorrow and then Adam Bergstrom 2.0. He's on uh, the third Wednesday. If you'd like to join the show, there's two ways to do it. If you're not shy, you can call 888-663-6386. Email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. So the phone lines are open. And also email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. I ran into a lady in Missouri. She's a real geeky, kind of a constitutional liberty gal. And it was very interesting. Chatted up with her and somebody introduced me to her. We got talking about crypto. And she said, oh, well, you need to talk to Kurt Walker because he knows about crypto. I said, okay, well, give me his email and uh, his website. And we contacted Kurt Walker. He is in the great state of Florida. And we are going to get geek out on Bitcoin. He, she tells me that, uh, Kurt uh, Walker, that you have info on Bitcoin that a lot of people do not, or, or at least theories and you know where the bodies are buried? Is, is, that, is that true? <laughs> I, I, I don't know about that, but uh, I've got some theories for sure. Yeah. A quick Bitcoin story. I think you'll appreciate 2010. I hear about a fellow up in New York doing the Bitcoin show. I interview him. Uh, I'll just give you his first name. I don't even remember his first name now. We still have the audio. And he uh, Bitcoin was 25 cents. 25 cents. And he, he's talking about Bitcoin going to $50,000, right? And I, of course, thought mm-hmm. he was crazy. I, you know, I thought I was talking to an alien. Of course, I didn't buy any for about a year later. We bought a bunch, uh, you know, a few thousand dollars worth. And, and we got gobbled, gobbled up in the Mt. Gox uh, thing. So, mm. you know, so that's my Bitcoin history. So you can <laughs> see what I know. So, okay. Um, there's, there's all kinds of theories and, and things out there occurred on the on the, on the interweb that Al Gore, thanks Al for inventing it, uh, that Bitcoin is either, uh, you know, digital gold or the biggest Ponzi scheme ever perpetrated on humanity. Is it one or the other or somewhere in between? So, I mean, it's a, it's a good question because yeah. it's one that gets brought up a lot, but it's a bad question because I actually think it's the wrong question. Oh, and okay. I think... So, I mean, when people think of digital gold, I think you immediately, you get the gold bug investor type. So you start thinking about, uh, you, you know, your, your late night you know, buy gold now right. commercials or, right. you know, why, why, why we need to be doing all of this. And, and so you immediately start to pigeonhole Bitcoin into a investor's mindset. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to, to your point, you know, sh- should you have bought some at 25 cents? Like, sure. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> life-changing money at this point but yeah but it's kind of like you know bitcoin is not really designed to be an investment like this is this is sort of a zeitgeist that was created um in the sort of 2011 and 12 era and then that has been the thing that you know as soon as you get a major pump like you mentioned monk yeah. so 2013 bitcoin went up over a thousand dollars for the first time then it creates this frenzy now it's newsworthy and now everybody's like well shoot 
when it crashes, I need to buy some because then next it's going to $20,000 or, you know, whatever. And so, and that's so much fun because there's this allure of easy money. And that's all tangential to the fact that Bitcoin solves all of these fundamental problems in the payments economy uh, and in the the digital like identity and communication space. Uh, major problems in the world, like you have data mining companies that are scraping your stuff and selling it to the NSA and selling it to you know, marketing agencies and 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 everybody else. And we know these things are happening, but we feel powerless, and so we just are like, well, I'm just still going to keep using. Twitter and Google and Facebook and stuff anyways. And so, uh, you know, just kind of is what it is. This is the life we've chosen. And, and they've ignored the fact that there's a lot of value in disrupting those things and you can disrupt them with Bitcoin. And so, uh, Bitcoin is digital gold, but not in the way that, uh, not in the way that people sell it as, you know, Hey, I've got a little bit of gold buried in the backyard. And so I'm going to survive the apocalypse when it, when it happens. So, uh, truly, the reason it is digital gold is because it is a tool to stop that apocalypse from happening. Uh, but we have to be brave enough to really treat it that way as a networking tool and as a payments tool and as a, a tool for attestation of ownership and identity across the entire economy. Mm. Like Bitcoin is not supposed to be a niche. It really is designed to sort of virally absorb or replace basically everything. Wow. And uh, if, Pretty- if that's true, then... By all means, it is digital gold. Yeah, digital gold. <laughs> so I'm a great student, of, and I'm not great at it, but I had a wonderful teacher, uh, Kurt, for 25 years on the monetary system. We did shows once m- weekly on the IMF and mm-hmm. you know fiat currencies and the Federal sure. Reserve and who owns them and the whole you know uh, uh, you know uh, Jekyll Island thing and you know yeah. And so when you look at it from that perspective. We know that the only thing that's really happening in the economy, in my opinion, is central banks and banks are creating more dollars and they're monetizing debt. And here we are. And the United States is what, 32, they say 31, I say 35 trillion in debt and 100 trillion in unfunded liabilities. So the dollar is not going to, you know, as my mentor used to say before he went to heaven, is that, uh, you know, this is only going to crash when they run out of zero. That was his famous line, and I think he's probably right. They're probably going to run this thing yep. into the ground, the dollar. So having said that, somewhere along the line, talk us through at the very beginning and a person by the name of Satoshi, what's his face? Nakamoto. Nakamoto, I love the name. He created this Bitcoin thing. Is that true? Is there such a person? Correct. So it's it's a pseudonym. Okay. Uh, it was very clearly uh, an uh, not an American actually, but <laughs> a uh, an English speaker of of the Commonwealth mm. um, using basically uh, if if you if you really look closely at Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, he sort of had a nondescript English, uh, but v- very clearly a native English speaker, um, but used occasional idioms that sort of. Uh, outed him as perhaps British or perhaps uh, from, you know, somewhere like Australia or South Africa or something like uh-huh. uh, just spellings and things occasionally or, or using a, you know, bloody as an adjective to, ah, it's bloody difficult to describe that kind of thing. And uh-huh. so, um, so there are some hints there about it, uh, but ultimately Satoshi Nakamoto uh, sort of d- disappeared or um, in, in my work, I've, I've come to uh, be of the opinion that he was more forced out than sort of casually disappeared. But um, yeah, he, he created this technology. Uh, he put it out um, using this moniker uh, to the cryptography mailing list, which was 
about the nerdiest place on the internet at the time. Uh, you, you literally had to be a, a cryptography professional, which literally only includes people that do high level programming for banks, governments, or security firms, the, those kind of things. Uh-huh. Uh, but this describes how he solved the double spend problem. The double, the double spend problem. Double spend. Uh, this is always oh, so, monetary uh, with money. We're down. Normal people would understand this as a bounced check, essentially. Yeah. So if I go to if I have a hundred dollars in my bank account and I write a hundred dollar check at two grocery stores in the same day, yes, whoever deposits it first will get paid, and whoever deposits it second will not. Yeah. Uh, this is a double spend. Okay. In in Bitcoin uh, or in digital currency in general, so you have this distribution of nodes, which is for persistence. You don't want one copy of the ledger the way that uh, you know your bank might or Visa or something. Uh, in Bitcoin, you have multiple uh, competing versions of the same ledger that should always come into consensus as correct uh, after a ten minute reconciliation period. But in order to um, in order to figure out how to solve this problem of if I only have one Bitcoin, how do we how do we know it hasn't been spent twice? Uh, he came up with various metrics uh, by which to do this. The primary one is a concept called proof of work, mm. and this was this was truly what he was explaining to the cryptography mailing list, is saying, "Hey guys, I think I've solved the double spend problem, and it's this elegant solution, and we've implemented it as this digital cash system." And of course, uh, most people hated it <laughs> because this was. Not the uh, not the first time people had seen a digital cash system. There were lots of previous and failed ones. Um, Would we and, know and any of those? Even Would some people the in the group. Would we know any of the names of those? The failed ones? Just for um, fun? Yeah, sure. Uh, you had like uh, David Chom uh, created a uh, a network called eCash. Uh, he's somebody who. Yeah. Um, okay. we'll, we'll still occasionally speak at like a blockchain conference or something. He's, he's been a little quieter the last five years okay. now, but, uh, in 2016 or 17, it would have been relatively common to have, uh, David Chom come speak at, at, yeah. uh, at a blockchain conference or something. Uh, you also had uh, one called karma, which is created by a, a doctor out of Cornell named, uh, Eamon Gunserer. He's a <laughs> Turkish American, if I recall, um, and then there were tons and tons of other variables, like literally thousands. Like okay. it is not a small list of, uh, but mostly niche, but still trying to solve a digital cash spending problem for okay. someone or something. Mm-hmm. But they all failed. And the ones that failed, uh, you know, the biggest were the ones that that had the most grandiose vision for like, hey, we're going to we're going to be money for the world. Yeah. And so. Um, you know, when some random guy shows up whose name they didn't know, okay, here's a new pseudonym. Like, isn't this curious? Uh, and Bitcoin, and and he thinks he's solved all these problems that this group of us have not been able to solve for 15 years. Um, so mostly he got criticisms. Mostly it was like, okay, well, here's all the reasons it won't work. You know, as you'd expect, your very yeah. typical internet conversation. Like, let me list the ways you're wrong. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And um, yeah. Okay. So, um, so it starts off at 25 cents or that's the first time I saw it and it keeps going up and up and up. And, and then when do things mm-hmm. get really interesting as opposed, well, let me, let me ask you this. So it was meant to, the vision wasn't to be able to then have my corner grocery store someday accept Bitcoin and use it as money rather than mm-hmm. dollars. Was that the, the idea? 
Um, so Satoshi Nakamoto didn't really talk on this in specifics. Mm-hmm. Um, he did talk about token systems, you know, for, for things like, uh, internet commerce. Mm-hmm. So he seemed much more interested in internet commerce than anything else. I see. Uh, in fact, the opening phrase of the Bitcoin white paper introduction is commerce on the internet. Oh. And so he's, yeah. he, he is definitely focused, uh, generally in internet commerce, but in commentary, he, he would mention things like, you know, the, the cup of coffee or, you know, whatever. But but these were these were in response to people asking him questions about, you know, here's the what if on, you know, some edge case scenario. Um, so he, he didn't make that particularly clear. And, and I kind of have mixed uh, opinions on it myself uh, in 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 the world today. Like would I like to spend gold at the grocery store. I guess if it was if it's relatively stable, or if I think that the price of gold is going to go down relative to food, then I may. But gold, I think, is stable enough for us to not necessarily make that calculation. If we were to just live on it day to day, I think, and if everybody was living on it day to day, it would actually be more stable as well. Yeah. And so I think conceptually, Bitcoin can work as that, but in the near term, uh, probably not. Uh, but the beauty of Bitcoin is that it is a very very capable. Uh, capable tokenization system. And so if we wanted to, uh, you know, issue a, a stable coin, for example, uh, but uh, an officially recognized one, maybe an internal one, maybe your local grocery store chain issues its own money that is pegged to some other asset or something. Uh-huh. All of that is very simple to deploy on Bitcoin uh, and make very useful in whatever unit of account that you want to use. And I see that as a as a bootstrapping opportunity but also at scale you know there will be people in the world that don't want to use the bitcoin unit for whatever reason and if they want to use uh tokenized seashells in you know across polynesia then sure why not that's fine it's a good tool for that too yeah yeah so um so so the the arguments to the people will start to get into this kurt was the idea i suspect that there's only 21 million and that's true, right? And then we've often heard that there is the way this way this blockchain works peer to peer, that there's a whole bunch of people that would have to agree to do something bad with it or change it or change it to twenty two million. Is that true? Can you explain how that works? Yeah. So one of the main principles in Bitcoin is that it is a hard money. But then it is contrasted against this other sort of dogma about Bitcoin that there is consensus about any rule. And so those things, in my opinion, are fundamentally at odds with each other. Um, a hard money can't change. A gold, for example, it doesn't matter if we all say like, ah, gold's really great, but wouldn't it be awesome if we could change this property of it? Yeah. Uh, you know, gold, gold doesn't care. <laughs> and so right. um, Bitcoin should be that way the problem is is that it's it's just software implemented and and then you get people's politics that get tangled up in it um satoshi talked about this too he he, he talked about even in the bitcoin uh license like that the 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 software was released under saying you can modify it in any way but if you make any modifications to the rule set of bitcoin you need to very clearly delineate that, that it is not bitcoin um, so an example for this oh. would be, well, if like Litecoin, for example, uh-huh. like these are your, mm-hmm. okay, I'm just going to fork the, the thing and make my own money, uh, make my own, you know, Bitcoin clone, essentially, that's completely okay. 
What is not okay mm -hmm. is making a fundamental change to some part of the system and saying, okay, well, we all agreed to make this change. And since it's, you know, we've all come into consensus about this change, this is now Bitcoin. So this is kind of like, uh, it, it starts to become a very philosophical, political, and in some cases, a religious conversation oh. uh, <laughs> where, you know, it's like, okay, if there is a creator God, for example, mm -hmm. and he has established an absolute truth, yeah. then it doesn't matter if we all disagree with it. Much like my gold example, I can disagree that gold has certain properties, but gold is gold, whether we like it or not. And Bitcoin in my opinion, must be that or else it, its fundamental value doesn't actually matter. I mean, if it's just one more political money, then, you know, I, I don't know that the politics of the people are, are any better than the politics of the Fed at scale because just the way that humans are, like we will become lazy, we will outsource our responsibility to the thing, it will ultimately come under the control of an oligarchy and then we, we we have a problem again. Right. Obviously, when you compare it to dollars, that a limited supply of something is attractive, right? Because you we know that they they whoever they are, the dollar ink boys, can create as many dollars as they can get away with, as long as people have confidence in the dollar, which they do with the euro or yuan or whatever. It's all fiat, just made up, just poof. Um, how yeah. many people would it take? Or let me ask it this way: Is it at all possible that somewhere down the line? enough people could agree to change the 21 million only ever Bitcoins to 25 million. Is that possible? I mean, that, that's a, that's a conversation. This is why it becomes religious. It's like, ah. can a, can a Christian believe that Jesus wasn't the son of God? Okay. <laughs> and it's, yeah. and it's like, well, the answer is, is kind of, uh, if you're Orthodox, the answer is clearly no. Right. But if you're a Mormon, for example, then you say, well, yeah i mean he, he is he isn't got like it's you know yeah, and, and when you start to have that conversation and then it becomes but i guess you know what i'm asking is, we live could in enough, chaos now. Could enough people get together who are not pure jesus guys and convince a bunch of other people to raise it to 25 is that even possible if enough people oh, absolutely it's, it? it's literally a single line of code and if if everybody were to agree to that single line of code then it just yeah, is but who's everybody <laughs> well, th see, that's the question. Now, <laughs> now, this is why we get into governance and philosophy. So, um, and this is another sort of deep Bitcoin uh, conversation is who has a vote, yeah. right? Now, the Satoshi Nakamoto, I think is very clear, has said that nobody has a vote. It is not your job to vote. It is your job to enforce the protocol, period. But then if you change that, if you start to convince people like, well, yeah, but mob rule and mutiny and whatever else democracy uh, so then <laughs> so then we start to ask ourselves okay uh there are two two principal types of computers on the bitcoin network mm -hmm. there are mining nodes so these are computers that build blocks and write to the blockchain they at this point are gigantic industrial operations like you've seen these massive hashing farms and people saying, hey, should we shut these down because they take up more power than a, you know, yeah. a, a major county in Texas? Right. And, you know, maybe. But um, then you have these other participants who are the extremely low power uh, node clients. And the fact is, is anybody can download the Bitcoin software. You can run the entire blockchain and you can, quote unquote, validate the entire blockchain yourself. Now, 
people have treated it that whatever version of the software you run, they have made this akin to a vote. And okay. so if you run the updated software, it is essentially your vote to make Bitcoin look like your version of the software. And so now all of a sudden, if you have influence over what version of the software people run, you've turned this into a sort of political statement. Uh, and, and now <laughs> we've seen this turn into sort of factions. Now it's a little bit like the miners versus the home nodes and, and some of these political things uh, come out of this. And so when we ask, okay, so who, who votes, who are, who is everybody? Uh -huh. The answer is there's about 10,000 individual IP addresses that we can identify on the major Bitcoin network or networks actually. Uh, but there's no identity associated to them. So right. who is to say that 9,000 of them aren't under the control of one person? We, we, we don't know. And so this would be like election packing, or you could call this uh, in computer sciences called a civil attack, uh, which is, you know, I'm pretending to be 9,000 individual people, but in reality, I'm simply undermining the, the system. Wow. But then we do have the dozen or so companies that we know are building blocks. And this is you know, their registered businesses, their, their blocks that they build are signed with their company's hash. Like these are uh, cryptographically attested to as, hey, we are, you know, Foundry Pool and we are Ant Pool and we are F2 and we're the, like these companies that are Bitcoin infrastructure. And so that's very clear who those people are. And then there is the extremely unclear, uh, overwhelming supermajority of the other several thousand nodes who we don't know who they are. And in my opinion, I would argue that this makes them completely untrustworthy. I mean, it could be that 100% of the other are all controlled by the CIA. Like, pro prove to me they're not. Oh, good. Right? Well, that, that sounds... Kirk <laughs> Walker is with us. If you care to join us, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com, or you can call 888-663-6386. So if I own a tenth of a Bitcoin, I don't get to vote or anything. I, I can just go to the meetings and drink coffee. I, I don't get to vote. Okay. So... <laughs> Correct. So is that one of... Uh, Okay, so let, let's move forward, though. Somewhere along the line, things got snarky, and it starts to be like a, like a, a um, let's like a reality TV show, or, you know, um, and people, and then something happened, and then Bitcoin had a fork in the road, right? When was that, and then what happened? And it was just a few years ago, right? And we heard about this fork before it forked. For sure. So if we're talking about political factions, uh, one of the major aspects of any uh, political system is one's right to secede, uh, and uh, which is, you know, can be a contentious yeah. conversation among Americans. But, um, but fundamentally, if, if we have this concept of consensus among everybody, like, okay, we're all going to agree. Well, there's the, that then implies that there's a contingent, well, what happens if we do not agree? Mm -hmm. And what happens if we do not agree is even on a single rule on a single transaction in the entirety of Bitcoin, well, then all of a sudden the network splits and there are two competing versions of the chain. And it's designed for Bitcoin to, to orphan the smaller version of that and say, look, ultimately we, we must figure out why there was a problem. We should all come to consensus, even if, you know, for some technical reason, there was no consensus. And ultimately, there should be one chain. But 
the, the large nodes in the network. Uh, and this is why I, I have a, a fundamental distrust of all these uh, computers on the system is that it came, it came up with this concept of a soft fork, meaning that, okay, now we can update rules of the network. And even if people do not vote by upgrading their node, they're just going to receive those transactions and not be able to validate them anyway. So anybody that isn't paying attention is going to join that majority by default. And anybody who does some other thing is going to be forked away by default. And so all of a sudden, you are not just having a conversation among active participants in the network. You are assuming that all of the inactive participants automatically go on one side, which just creates this sort of impenetrable supermajority. And then you have the people that are bold enough to say, wait, hold on, we, we disagree with whatever change this is. Right, here, we're making our case publicly. We're willing to do all these things. We are, at the time, this is 2016 and 17 era, right, right. Uh, at the time represented most of the mining computers on the network. And they said, hey, uh, you know, the real Bitcoin is the one that maintains this absolute rule set you know, back to the Genesis block and all these things like sound money is about an unchanging money over time, right, et cetera, right. et cetera. Very philosophical. Mm -hmm. And then there was a split uh, on August 1st, 2017. Um, the network split into two versions of Bitcoin oh. um, and they had a sort of hash war, um, except that one side put in what's called uh, basically it's called replay protection meaning that they, they added a little piece of software saying, okay, we're not going to let the, no matter what, the, the rules of the system are not going to fundamentally orphan each other. So we are going to operate as two separate chains on purpose. So we're going to do a, an experiment and see if the market will decide who, who is the real Bitcoin. Oh. And in my opinion, I, I was against this concept. Uh, in my opinion, it was like, hey, I mean, we're... How do you how do you convince a, an uneducated and confused market to choose yeah. the right version of a, <laughs> a very complicated do, thing? How would you do that? How would you do? Well, what did the yeah. what did the forkers want that the that the the originals didn't want? What did they want? What did they want to change? So so it was a few things. Okay. Uh, the the big change was in in Bitcoin. Um, people think of Bitcoin as a crypto graphic system and it really isn't it's actually a system of transfer of property rights and it uses a digital signature system wow. um so a bitcoin is itself a chain of digital signatures just like if you uh you know if you're the fourth owner of a car and you're selling that car it's very important that you have that title yeah. and that every transfer of sale has been notarized and that you are selling that car and everybody can validate okay here's when the dealer sold it and then here's when Dave sold it to Mike, and here's when Mike sold it to Patrick, right. and here's Patrick selling it to me. Right. This is this is a very clear concept in Western Hemisphere property rights for hundreds of years now. Right. That's how Bitcoin works fundamentally. Your private key is like your personal pen or your personal seal saying, I am signing away my ownership of these coins and I'm passing them to you. In BTC Bitcoin, they said, okay. Let's get rid of those signatures. Let's let's strip them away because they're computationally expensive in a way that we don't like. And let's replace them with a completely other uh, categorizing system. We'll put the signature somewhere else and then we will add a, a checkpoint or a basically a, a 
it's it's like a, a notary stamp itself saying, don't worry, the notary saw all the signatures. All you need to see is the notary stamp. And so they said, this is a way to save space and, and speed up Bitcoin transactions and some of these other things. Uh, but to the Bitcoin originalists, of, of, of which I am one, uh-huh. I said, well, if, if you're going to eliminate, like this is in the white paper, this has been reconfirmed by Satoshi Nakamoto, like the definition of a Bitcoin is the last signature in an unbroken chain of digital signatures. And you are currently advocating to break the chain of digital signatures and call that Bitcoin. And so for me, I'm, I'm out instantly. Um, and oh. we were the majority early on in that conversation because it just was such a cut and dry, like, okay, this is a very weird sort of techno babble thing. Like there's very, very smart people telling us that this is good for us because don't worry, trust the science. <laughs> and, um, and I was one of those people saying you know your right. your science seems like it's designed to confuse people so uh i don't like this um and and the people that kept the original unbroken chain of digital signatures uh became what was called the bitcoin cash community and then we had our own um kind of split up too and i i have followed again the unbroken chain of digital signatures uh into the bsv community and so bitcoin and bsv stands for bitcoin satoshi vision so that we are literally the maintainers of the unbroken chain of digital signatures back to the Genesis block. And everybody else has fundamentally undermined that chain of digital signatures in some way. Whoa, wait a minute. So this VSV thing is you're arguing that it is the original, the real deal, like, you know, uh, Hertz, and they were number one, right? And they're still number one, right? <laughs> That's a great thing in marketing, yep. isn't it? One of the biggest thing in, in branding is be, be first. Isn't that interesting, right? <laughs> yeah. Be first, refrigerator, whatever. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, but now we don't know you from Adam or Eve, and you could just be out there, you know, I'm not saying you are, but you could be out there just hustling this BSV and, you know, talking sure. up. So, because you got a bunch of them, and, you know, what's not to like there? So, how do we know that you're not a, just a, you know, a scallywag? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's difficult, frankly. Yeah. Um, I, I guess the first part is I'm not asking anybody to buy anything. I, at the beginning of the interview, I discussed, like, I've, I've never really thought of Bitcoin as an investment. And, and I don't think people should just go buy it. Um, you also have the opportunity. Anybody that's been holding Bitcoin since before uh, the 2017 split, right. you, you have equal parts on all chains. So if you held one Bitcoin in a cold wallet in 2015 and you go to check them out today you can you can redeem that coin on btc bch or bsv one to one you're oh, an investor whoa, in all chain that's a big deal so yes. so you did your little bitcoin in 2015 say you had one it didn't fork off or just one and the other two so you had you have one on each so we have bch right is that bitcoin cash Bitcoin cash and then we have yep. btc which um everybody thinks is the real one right yeah and then and you have this BSV. So we got to dig into all of these. Can you hold on a second and let me kind of promote a product or something? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I can remember just, just as a side note uh, before we go to break, Kurt, um, in that same conversation, this fellow said to me, Patrick, I can set it up so you can take Bitcoin for donations right now. Do you want to do that? Well, what did I say? No, I don't think so. I don't think anybody will do that. Could you imagine if I would have done that, what, 20, 13 years ago? 
Jeez. Uh, I'd probably be in Fiji, you know, drinking, <laughs> having little drinks with umbrellas in them, you know. Okay, so stay, <laughs> stay right there. So what do you think about this, folks? Uh, you know, I'm really glad we're doing this because most of us have no idea, you know, what's going on. And this fellow sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Of course, I'm not saying he couldn't be a great, great uh, nephew of George Soros and he's just sucking his own. And I don't think that's true, but it'd be possible. So buyer beware. So we're going to dig more into it. This is OneRadioNetwork.com. One of the coolest things ever that you can do is to get yourself all heated up at night. A lot of ways to do that. One of the ways we like to do it is to jump into our sauna. And this little puppy is a personal sauna where you don't have to break out the walls in your bathroom and do a plumber thing. And you can set it up in in 10 minutes. We've been using ours, a relaxed sauna for, oh gosh, nothing matter with what I do, but probably 12 years and this baby gets hot and there's very there's no electromagnetic fields in the form of RFs there's some magnetic energy but it's no more uh, more it's no more stronger than you know sitting in your car and the Prius that I used to have has 20 times more than that you'll get in the you know and I didn't die driving the Prius for 15 years so who knows but so it's a safe unit uh, many people email me well I want to get one of these sunlighter things they're only $5,000 and there's no electromagnetic fields. Well, there's none in ours, and ours is $1,200 delivered in the lower 48. For those of you in Petaluma, that does not include Alaska or Hawaii because they don't teach that in schools anymore. But uh, anyway, if you'd like to get one of these, these are really nice units. $1,200 delivered, lower 48. We ship them all over the world. We shipped one to the Netherlands, Netherlands last week. And um, the only place we had a problem a lady who lived in on a base in Turkey one at one, and we couldn't get through the APO, the military, and it was one of those, you know, paperwork uh, hells that we couldn't do. But pretty much anywhere you wanna you wanna get one of these guys, we can we can hook you up. And so just email me if you'd like to get one, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com, and uh, you can sauna every day. There is some really interesting work uh, going on, or did go on, excuse me, in the Netherlands, and they did a real study. I mean, it wasn't sponsored by, you know, whatever, the pharmaceutical company. They did a real study, and uh, they took a bunch of people, and they tested all kinds of things, and it was all involved with cardiac events and what they call cardiac events. And these are things that could even be really strange blood work that says that you're having a little cardiac event here. So there's a lot of... uh, uh, ways to describe that idea of cardiac event. But anyway, the long and the short of it is the more people, uh, and we can play the video for uh, the audio for you later, the more people, the more often you um, were in the sauna between one and seven days a week, the lower the cardiac events went down every time you increased the amounts. I mean, it's crazy. So there's a lot of benefits for the um, uh, your your heart, and then of course the main benefit is where you're sweating and detoxifying, and all the goobies that you get from who knows where, God knows where, comes, and um, you can uh, those will come out. They've actually also done studies, and where you can take your amount of heavy metals in your urine, and then do a sauna, and then do another study uh, with how much stuff is coming out of 
uh, your urine, and there's more of it that comes out in your urine, so it's actually working through the, through the, um, you know, um, the bladder um, just just from getting detoxed. Anyway, cool stuff. Check it out. Email me if you want to get one. Patrick, OneRadioNetwork.com. This is one of our favorite products to brush your teeth with. Previously, we talked with Dr. Rulin Zhu about using Pearlsium on your teeth. You have to experience huh. it. You'll yeah. believe it. <laughs> yeah, you do. That's what I've been saying to my listeners. I keep saying, can't even explain this. Just buy it. Just click on it and buy some. Trust me. Just trust me. And you're going to like the way your teeth look. <laughs> That's what I keep telling. Dentists, they did an experiment uh, on their uh, clients. And they literally prove and they literally show the picture every day. You know, when they take it in a few days, their tooth literally become, like you said, like a pearl pearl hmm. um like a pearl and it looks so beautiful and really white and shiny yeah it really works and hmm. it's also scientifically proven by the um, experiment and he literally proved it is not only good for your teeth he also proved it's also good for your gum try some of this pearl sim well, i think you're going to love it you can try it internally as well, helps with sleep, great way to get uh, absorbable calcium, and also on your face. Uh, you'll see the green ad there, the beautiful green container, get the capsules or the powder, Pearlsium, click and order, oneradionetwork.com. And you know, folks like to get a lot of calcium, and we think pretty much you can get uh, much of your, most of your calcium, even in leafy greens and uh, raw goats or cow's milk or camel's milk, whatever uh, the milk de jour is. But if you want to get more and get it into your bones and not into your arteries, this is the only form that we ever recommend. It's pearl sim. It's from a living source, and it's the real deal because you don't want to take the stuff you get at Wally Mart because uh, they've proven that that stuff will end up where you don't want it. Um, that's not a good thing. So check out Pearl Sim. It's on our website, oneradionetwork.com. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. So I was told by a couple of people that if you really want to understand what's going on with Bitcoin, you should contact Kurt Walkert Jr. And we have, Kurt, what's your website if they people want to check in with you and see what you're up to? Um, I'm all over the place. Uh, I have a KurtWalkertJR.com, uh, but I write uh, and do my podcast material with CoinGeek.com. 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 I love it. Yes. I love it. Coingeek.com. So I go on the interweb. Thanks for Al Gore for inventing that, by the way. Al. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and I do, okay, what's the price of BTC, right? And I pull up this little uh, chart. It says Bitcoinity.org markets, $30,150. So what is that? Which one of the three is that measuring? That's that's BTC. Uh, oh, that's this is BTC. the one that wanted to eliminate the signatures, not eliminate them, move, move the signatures into witness data and segregate them from the blockchain. So why don't we as Bitcoin buyers like that? What do, why do we care? Uh, well, I mean, as a Bitcoin buyer mm. uh, over the course of the last five years, I would argue that you probably would like it. Yeah, if your argument is simply that Bitcoin is an investment opportunity or it's a way to uh, save money as a hedge against inflation, had you made that bet in 2017, wow. um, I mean, you've been, been rewarded handsomely for it. Yes. Um, and, but I think that's kind of not the point. Uh, like I said at the beginning of our conversation, Bitcoin Bitcoin is a tool. And so 
Um, if we assumed that the world would need a lot of construction someday and you just so happen to hoard all the hammers, like that would be that would be a good investment for you too, but but it would be, you know, it's it's not really a net good for anybody except the guy that hoarded all the hammers, essentially. And so um, you know, driving up the price of things because of a perceived scarcity. Uh, and saying, hey, you know, the world's going to need this someday. You, re- you know, hey, you should really get into hammers too. Um, <laughs> you know, just it's it's one of these things where you know this is like a, an absurd macroeconomic example, but ultimately, Bitcoin is like the hammer. It is designed to assist in uh, very aggressively make commerce easier, in much the same way that a hammer makes driving a nail uh, significantly easier than a world without hammers. Okay. And so the problem uh, for me is that Bitcoin Bitcoin's designed to do all kinds of special things and, and those features of Bitcoin. So it's, uh, you know, global frictionless payments, uh, instant settlement, the ability to, to provably log in to all kinds of identities without sharing your identity with anybody else. Like the, those kind of things are, are really important pieces of technology. And they're really, really easy to implement because of the existence of Bitcoin. And we just haven't done them because of the opportunity cost that's been created by the fact that everybody seems to regret ever spending any of their Bitcoin on anything because the price continues to go up. Yeah. But I think that's such a convenient way to disincentivize people from creating truly disruptive business models. And so I see it as a sort of like satiation for, hey, do nothing sit back, trust, trust the, the mainstream economy to, you know, do what's best in some ways, but also fail in all the other ways that will make you rich the longer you sit and do nothing with your Bitcoin. And in a world like that, I have a couple of problems with it. M- one of my first problems is the fact that if that is a successful model, if the price of Bitcoin just goes up forever right. because we're not using it, well, then we become an increasingly less productive people and a less productive economy overall. And we know the fact that, you know, that doesn't work. If, if everybody was given equal parts Bitcoin and told, don't worry, the price is going to go up forever. And if you can just stay really small, maybe you can live off of, you know, dividends of it 25 years from now or something. And like the world can't work that way. We need productivity. We need investment culture. We need entrepreneurship and people that are willing to work a hundred hour week because they believe in a grand vision. Mm. And without those things, we, I mean, we just be, we become fat, lazy, and entitled. And ultimately, it's funny because the big Bitcoin investor types talk about that as if it's the goal. They talk about, the, well, we're going to live in the Bitcoin space citadel someday where mm-hmm. the poors do all of our work and we literally just sit and consume all day because we've become, you know, trillionaires and it's, and it's a scarce asset. So only we can become the trillionaires. Well, so you're <laughs> so a real purist with this. Like, I mean, <laughs> you're real purists, Curtis. It sounds like you really are in doing all of this, your work, more than just because of money. No, absolutely. Wow. I'm, I'm fundamentally an entrepreneur. I am not an investor. I mean, I invest, but I'm not an investor. I'm not an investment influencer. I'm not a, you know, none of these things. For me, it's it's about building. Like Bitcoin, Bitcoin is like a magic paintbrush, and it allows you to make something incredible that can't be made any other way. And <laughs> the fact that that is has been almost completely unexplored over the nearly fifteen years that Bitcoin exists 
is it's a gigantic travesty in my opinion wow so during this fork then when did bsv come about during the fork thing you guys the original this is in 2018 i I like to call it like an an emergence because your keys are valid all the way back to the genesis block so bitcoin cash truly emerged from this bitcoin hash war in 2017 and then bsv emerged from from it uh, in 2018. And so they've been now all three major versions of Bitcoin here have been separate, uh, separated from each other since uh, late 2018 now. But when people use the term Bitcoin, Kurt, like on MSNBC or something anywhere, they're really yep. talking about the BTC, aren't they? Correct. Okay. Be- because yeah. they are financial, you yeah. know, they're, they're, they're talking it the same way they're talking about Tesla stock right, or right, right. Google stock, which right. Uh, key key difference tesla's stock is not tesla the company in much the same way that google's stock is not google the company the the value of those stock may or may not be correlated to the actual value of what's produced by those companies because it, it's just going up because it's people are buying it or going down because people are selling it like any stock correct right it's just like that's that's what bitcoin is so but then so this btc folks do you think they'll just always hang with this 21 million? I mean, do you have a, an opinion about that? I mean, there have been some uh, significant and influential BTC people that have said they absolutely need to introduce more coins into the system. So because they don't believe they don't believe in Bitcoin's use as a payment system, um, payments payments are designed to be uh, payment fees rather are designed to be the way that Bitcoin secures itself after the last Bitcoin is mined. Mm. So because it's finite, you need to find another way to secure the network. And the way that Bitcoin was designed is okay. If it, billions of people are using it, then really tiny transaction fees of everybody's use will pay people to continue to process transactions. Right. But if you design the system in such a way that it can only handle and truly BTC can only handle between 100,000 and maybe 300,000 transactions at the very top in a day. And at that point, the fees are oppressively high already. We're talking $100 per transaction, which is, you know, censoring to anybody that wants to spend a, a dollar yeah, or that, even yeah. in some cases, fine. Yeah. I may, I might not spend $500 if it's going to cost me a hundred bucks to do it. Wow. So, um, so they've discussed, okay, so now what? Now that we've created this sort of arbitrary problem, what do we do to fix it? Uh, and Peter Todd, who is, if you look at the Bitcoin core repository on GitHub, is one of the major contributors of code in the history of Bitcoin. Uh, he he has suggested, I can't remember the, the precise figure, but if I recall, it's between 1% and 3% annual inflation in perpetuity, meaning that once Bitcoin gets down to that level uh, where there's you know, what, whatever it is, uh, year to year, just keep it there, like stop cutting it in half. Uh, and he argues, well, that's already better than, you know, current fiat inflation and it would be predictable and we would know all these things about it and it pays forever. It's, it's a, it's a perpetual subsidy. And, you know, when we start talking about democratic money, this is, this is when the people show up and start saying, Hey, wouldn't it be better if there were perpetual subsidies to specialize certain behaviors and, um, I, I think that's a, central a, bank a digital big currency. problem. Yeah, central bank <laughs> digital currencies to come, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Patrick, you're not behaving, so you don't get any more CBD things. <laughs> you know you know that's coming, right. Right? these people. Um, so I'm still dazed and confused about this split. So, <laughs> um, but 
so the way you're talking, Kurt, it's still, it would seem, is this a wrong conclusion that this BTC thing, it's 30,000 today, is pretty solid and it's a pretty good chance it's going to go up from here. I mean, if you have a, as more people, you know, believe and understand Bitcoin and they really believe that there's only going to be 21 million, that scarcity thing starts to get interesting mm. five years from now, right? You can't get any more Bitcoins, right? We mined them all. I mean, that thing could go catap- catastrophic, couldn't it? I mean, it could. I, I mean, anything's possible. Yeah. I mean, we have seen, <laughs> we've seen bubbles that have gone on for, for a very long time on a lot of things. Sure. Um, you know, it's funny, as, as, as a joke, I have argued like, you know, the human species is, is something of a bubble, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's true. So it really is, it's a matter of perspective. Now, could Bitcoin BTC be a million dollars a coin? I, I don't know. I, I, I think, um, wow. you know, you get your Bitcoin bulls that'll tell you it's just going to absorb everything. And I, don't, I just don't think that it can. And, and the reason is, is I feel like it must actually disrupt something else in the economy in order to do that. So they talk about gold and it's really not too far off uh, from, from disrupting gold. I, I, I don't recall the figure, but it would only have to be uh, a couple multiples of now in order to be a, a bigger uh, market cap store of value than, than uh, gold, like global gold investment. But the problem is, is that it's a lot less useful than gold in a lot of ways. And so I think the, the question that we have to ask is, is why? And then if it were to replace that, like why the next thing? Why should it replace you know global remittance, for example, which is itself trillions of dollars uh, in value, uh, tens of trillions, literally, uh, and sometimes uh, on a daily basis. Like Swift, for example, processes something to the effect of ten or twenty trillion dollars a day in value. Wow! And like this is this is a value that cannot be transacted in Bitcoin because it has or Bitcoin BTC specifically because it has a bandwidth cap. And so it would have to have an absurd market cap in order to do that. And it just becomes unsustainable to settle because what assets are you settling it against? And so, I mean, again, I'm not a macroeconomist, uh, but I look at it and say, you know what? We've been living in phony world with funny money for my entire life. And frankly, most of the lives of most of the people sure. on earth. Yeah, for hundreds so, of years, really, right? Yeah. From the Roman Empire. Well, yeah. Yeah, you go back. You know, these, these dudes yeah. were cutting the the gold out of coins, you know, just, <laughs> they, were, sure. they were trimming coins. Yeah, absolutely. You know, clipping. You know? And so, yeah. you know, and so for me, and, and, and I say this um, to basically everybody when they say, okay, Kurt, you've told me a compelling story, but what do I actually do with my money? I do just want to be an investor. Uh-huh. I think it's very easy. If you're going to buy Bitcoin BTC, if you're going to buy one, it's $30,000. If you've already spent $30,000 to buy one Bitcoin cash is about 300 bucks. And to buy one uh, BSV is about $30. Wow. And so for a very small uh, extra investment, you can sort of hold the basket and have a completely de-risked, non-political Bitcoin portfolio and say, look, if if one of them dies and the other one succeeds, I'm good. I'm good in all scenarios. And so I think that's a very easy way to, to just kind of say, okay, I'm a Bitcoin investor. And frankly, I hold as many Bitcoins as if I had spent a hundred dollars in 2015. I have the exact same risk uh, profile, minus the fact that you had to spend thirty thousand three hundred and thirty dollars to get there. So this BSV, if you were going to do it anyways, Bitcoin. In, in my opinion, that's very easy. Bitcoin Satoshi. What's the V stand for? Vision. Vision. 
So you're alleging that this is the original. Is he still around, by the way? Is he still living? So it, that's a very complicated answer. Okay. Um, no, yes. So or when no. it comes to a moniker, it's it's kind of like uh, I like to think of it as a corporate CEO or a corporation. Like Apple Computers was started by the Steves. It was Steve Jobs and Steve right. Wozniak. And so Steve Jobs is dead today. And so we could say, well, is is the founder of Apple still alive? And I think a lot of people would say no, but people who know would say. Well, yeah, Steve Wozniak did a lot of the work. He was the technical implementation guy. Uh Uh, And technically, neither of them were executives in that company for a good period of time in the 90s uh, and into the early 2000s. And so I think of Satoshi Nakamoto as a character um, that can be potentially played by more than one person, maybe one person at a time, maybe different teams at different eras. Uh, But I believe that the key person... Uh, the writer of the Bitcoin white paper, sort of the the creator of the vision, the designer, the architect of the system, uh, is a computer scientist from Australia, currently living in London, England. Uh, goes by the name of Dr. Craig Wright. I've heard about him. So he he's the real yeah. deal, in your opinion. He's a good guy. Uh, well, good guy and real deal might be different things. Okay. But <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so I I know Craig personally. Uh-huh. Um, we're I, I don't know if it's fair to say that we're friends, but we're certainly colleagues. Um, he's somebody that I, I have researched at length because, uh, he was sort of outed in 2015 as a major Satoshi candidate. And then there's been a whole, whole bunch of drama that has, uh, happened after that point, but in, in really digging into it, if you really, really get past all the noise, um, what I've come to realize over the last year and a half or two years, I've, I've started telling people that if Craig is not the creator of Bitcoin, then he has been doing nothing with his life but pretending to be since before Bitcoin existed, because it just like, he's put so much work into this. uh, And that work, literally the predicate work starts very clearly in the late nineties, like all in the payment space and cryptography space and uh, peer to peer computing and, and like early telecom and cloud compute systems and all these other things. And then when you look at the eras where he, you know, would have been the secret Satoshi Nakamoto, Um, it was very specifically, he was trying to solve, uh, what do you call it? International payment problems, uh, and was being paid by organizations to research exactly the problems that Bitcoin solves. And then you even see him starting to generate and create like intellectual property around these ideas as he's inventing them. And so you can follow them all the way through and say, well, okay. We know he filed his first Bitcoin patent. I think it was in 2011, if I think about it now, which is in 2011, there was like maybe 500 people on earth that even knew what Bitcoin was. Right, right. Uh, and, and then going forward, he's dedicated his entire career to it, uh, really nonstop since then. And so um, if you really dig in and when you research like the code and the things that aren't used, so there's a lot of like weird vestigial things in Bitcoin as well. And I've studied them at length. And this was actually my little test on Craig is like, okay, I'm going to find the most unknown, mundane, vestigial, weird thing. And I'm going to ask Craig about it just very, very plainly say, hey, what was the point? I'm not, I'm not going to reveal what it is because I, I don't want Craig to know that this is what I <laughs> was asking him if he ever hears this interview. Right. But um, I just asked him like, hey, what is what's what do you, what is this about? Like it just was kind of a like I wanted to catch him because I knew if he was a fake, 
he wouldn't know what I was talking about. Like it would just be, there's no way he would know what this is, but instead of being, you know, like, Oh, it's, I don't know. It, it, it's not used for anything. So I'd rather not talk about it. He immediately gives me a, you know, that was the weirdest thing. And he just, he just starts going and gushing about like, well, and here's how it could be used. And I, I figured that if at scale, it was able to interoperate with this thing that would allow us to do multiple versions at once. And then you could spread like, so he's got like this whole engineering roadmap in his head for this tool that has literally never been used in the system. And it's kind of like asking, a. I always like to make the like an automotive engineer or a, or a big building architect. If you accidentally find like a hidden hallway in a building and say, oh, what the heck is this? Mm. Well, if you were to ask the architect, he would have an answer for that. Yeah. Right. And, and he could tell you, well, you know, it was, it was structural or, you know, I wanted there to be a, a like this atrium at the end of this hallway, but then it didn't work for all, like whatever. And so we just capped it. And, and, and that's the kind of answer that Craig had for this thing. And so I, I looked at it and said, look, there's a lot of confusion about what he is or isn't. Is he a fraud? Is he a liar? Is this some kind of con? But when you talk to him about that kind of thing, he he has the architect's view of the system such that he can explain why this dead end pathway exists yeah. and like what it could be used for and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so that, that to me was a major proof. So, so do you connect him up with BSV then or BTC? Craig? Uh, well, both. He, both. he would be a holder of, of all versions. Uh -huh. uh, he uh, very rarely delineates between them. He talks about Bitcoin at a much higher level, sort of talks about it like as a concept or a system. Right. Uh, he will specify, he, like he's, he, is, uh, he owns an engineering firm that works uh, in the BSP space, but, but he talks about all systems and, and their problems and his criticisms and things. So he's very much part of the sort of macro Bitcoin economy, right. but he, he would argue much, much as I have that BSV is the original Bitcoin for the reasons that I've stated. We, we would agree on that point. So if I'm one of the owners of the Federal Reserve Bank, say a Jamie Dimon or something, you know, I mean, and, and you can monetize debt so you can monetize a paper bag. If somebody says, I owe you $10 million, you can just monetize yep. it, create the dollars on a computer and you're good to go. So if I was sure. that, I would just be buying billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin because what do you got to lose? <laughs> Right. So, I mean, sure. how do we know what's going on with, I mean, how do we know what drove it up to what was it? 60,000 at one point BTC. Yep. Uh, almost 70, 70. Actually, I mean, yeah. Could it have been like the George Soros and he people he plays golf with and bought a whole bunch of Bitcoin and went up to $70,000. I mean, is, and is that dangerous for us guys who have a, a 10th of a Bitcoin? <laughs> I mean, it's it's just like anything else. It's kind of like asking, like, should I hold real estate right, right. now? And, right. you know, it's like, well, if the dollar collapses and, you know, it's been super inflated, it's hyperinflated because of the dollar inflation right now, maybe it's not a good time to buy. But at the same time, well, you know, populations are still growing and it's, uh, we all we currently don't have enough housing for everybody. Like maybe, maybe housing will outperform whatever recession is coming next. And you know, so it's like, it's such a, there's so many moving parts to all of this stuff, which is why, again, like I, I totally shy away from the investment thesis on any of this stuff. Hmm. Um, Cause we just don't know. I mean, there's always like weird anomalies that happen every big macro up and big macro down cycle. And everybody wants that alpha. How, how do I outplay it? How do I become a billionaire in the next recession? Yeah, of course, <laughs> It's of course. like, 
So if I knew, I'd be that billionaire, yeah. and I probably wouldn't tell so you. <laughs> as a, as a, a monetary monetary uh, 